If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to John, the 13th chapter. John, chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come, so now I say unto you. This may have been on the very night of Christ's betrayal. And he makes a statement here that caught my attention. As I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. We don't usually think about Jesus denying access to heaven to anybody. And yet he said he said to the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. Why would he make such a statement as this? I want to talk to us some this morning about that blessed hope we have of heaven and how we long to go to heaven to be with the Lord. I can tell you why he made that statement. Because they were plotting his death. In those hours. They hated Jesus. They hated his teachings. He couldn't win with them. He was just a bad guy to the Jews. And even yet today. A lot of the Jewish nation feel the same way toward Jesus. They don't like his teachings. They don't like who he is. They don't like that he said he was the son of God. And that's why Jesus would say to them, Whither I go, you cannot come, because they reject the only sacrifice that's made for our sin. And if you reject that sacrifice, you cannot go to heaven. The Bible's very plain about that. There's only one thing that will take away our sin, and that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will. <clears throat> In verse 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterward. Peter said unto him, Lord, why, canst, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thee. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice, three times. And so he makes another interesting statement here. Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. He was going to the cross, and then he was going back to the Father. Thou shalt follow me afterwards. And of course, the followers of Jesus Christ will go to be with him afterwards, after that time. But Jesus, uh, pardon me, Peter wanted to know, why can't I go right now? He wasn't ready to go. He thought he was, but he wasn't. Jesus began to outline some of the things here that were going to happen to him very shortly, imminently. Don't you think that helped them after those things come to pass, just like he said? 
reaffirmation of their faith that he is the son of the living God because he's fixing to be crucified. He's fixing to take a cloud back to heaven. And they won't be able to talk to him anymore then we can talk to our loved ones who have died and gone on. We can't talk to them today. They weren't going to be able to talk to Jesus anymore. This is the last hours. And he's getting them ready for that. So we go into verse 14, which I want to use as a basis for our study this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I'm going ahead. I'm going to get this place ready. And he said, if I go, I want you to know I'm coming back. This is not goodbye for eternity. This is just goodbye for now. So, this morning, I love this passage. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And this morning, we're gathered here because we believe in God and we also believe in His Son, Jesus, that He's the Savior of the world, that He's our Savior. He's going to get those mansions ready to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, is the way Peter described it. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 4, John was permitted to look into that heavenly city and to, and to view certain things there that he recorded for us. And he said, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All of the pain and the suffering and the death and the terrible things that we go through in this life, he said, that'll all be behind us. There won't be any of that in heaven. Doesn't that make you want to go to this place? You know, as we read in Hebrews 11, Abraham and his, and his children and grandchildren looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. They went to Canaan where God directed him to go and look at the land of Israel that he was going to give to his descendants. But in reality, God wanted, pardon me, Abraham wanted to go and be where God was. That's what he was looking for, the eternal city, the new Jerusalem. The scripture says they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims as long as they were on this earth. This was not their home that they desired to have. I believe these scriptures should provide motivation for us to want to go to heaven. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you going to heaven? If you died today, are you going to heaven? You know, when we think about it being way off, out somewhere, way out yonder somewhere, and very far away, we don't have a lot of motivation to change our life, do we? 
So I ask you this morning, are you ready for heaven? Jesus said, be ye ready. What does that mean? That means we prepare. We got ready this morning before we came to this building. We got prepared to come here. Are you ready to go to heaven? Is that going to be your home when death comes? Are you going to spend eternity with the apostles and all the Old Testament people that we read about in Hebrews 11? With Jesus and with God and with the angels? Are you ready? I think it's a very serious thing for us to think about this morning. Why would Jesus talk about being ready? You know, that wasn't the only thing that Jesus talked about. Jesus talked a lot about people going to hell. He preached about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. He talked about that great day of judgment when he would come with his holy angels and before him would be gathered all nations. He would separate them one from another as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Folks, that day's coming. It's real. Just as real as this building and just as real as this assembly here today. And everybody that's ever lived is going to be standing before God on that day. To those on the right hand, they'll hear, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus always presents the positive and the negative, the good and the bad and the ugly. He doesn't sugarcoat things like we do sometimes. He tells us how it really is and how it's going to be. Somebody says, I don't like that very good. You know you don't have a say in it. God is God. We're His creation. But I want to say to you this morning that God loves you. God wants you to go to heaven. And so sometimes we say God has cast a vote for you, the devil's cast a vote against you, and now you get to cast the deciding vote. Which will it be? And we do that by the life that we live. The life that we live and the decisions that we make are going to determine whether we enter into heaven or not. You know, Jesus had another saying here in Matthew 25 and verse 30, Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said he'll send forth his angels, and he will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, things that are offensive to God, that God does not like. They will bind them in bundles that they'll be burned. It's not a very pretty picture, is it? So let's ask another question. Do you want to be on the left side on this day? Do you? To be a part of this great scene that Jesus talks about that sounds so very unpleasant. In Luke 12 and verse 40, 
Jesus said, Be ye ready, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. So that's a part of what this sermon is about this morning. Maybe that's the main thrust of it. Is to help us to think seriously about where we stand with God. And about where we want to end up and what we really want and what's most important in this life. You know, Solomon got to the end of his life and he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He said, I've tried it all. I've had wealth. I've had armies. I've had servants. It's all vanity. I have no idea what the person who comes behind me is going to do with my wealth. I don't know. Will they use it wisely? Will they use it foolishly? I have no control over that. I'll be dead. I'll be in the grave. And so we do think about the future, and we should think about the future, but we need to get ready for the future. That's the most important thing. In Romans 2 and verse 7, let's start in verse 6. He will render to every man according to his deeds. What kind of deeds do we do? How do we use our tongue? Do we use our tongue to cuss people? Do we use our tongue to tell dirty jokes? Do we use our tongue to gossip, to rail, to revile, to give people a piece of our mind? And then we come to the house of God and we praise God with that same tongue? James said, my brethren, these things ought not to be. Out of the same fountain coming forth sweet things and bitter things. It's not the way it's supposed to be. He will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. That's what Jesus promised in John 14. That's what we're seeking. We seek that by our deeds, by our actions, by our words. That's what's going to judge us. It's not like I was born into the right family, so I get a free pass. It's not like I can ride on the coattails of my wife or my children. The Bible teaches that every one of us will be accountable unto God. And that God will bring every work into judgment according to whether it be good or whether it be evil. But you know when we have the precious blood of Jesus, we can get forgiveness of our sin. And that means it's blotted out and God will not hold it against us. He said about the new covenant, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And when we get the cleansing blood of Jesus in our life, and it washes all that sin away, God said, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't even bring that up. I put it behind me. It's taken care of. Don't worry about it. When God forgives, you're forgiven. You're not put on probation. You're not partly righteous. You're either righteous or you're not. 
I cannot imagine anybody not wanting to go to heaven. But you know, we have the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He wanted to have eternal life. Jesus said one thing, thou lackest. The Bible says he went away sorrowful. He wasn't willing to get rid of that one thing that was standing between him and heaven. And he said, I guess I'll just go to hell. Where do you stand today? Is there something in your life that you're holding out on God? That you're not willing to give up? Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of your sin. That's what he shed his blood for, was for us to have the forgiveness of our sin. <clears throat> Revelation 1, 5, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. And Jesus wants to do that for you this morning. Have you been to Jesus that your sins might be forgiven, to receive the forgiveness of your, of your sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can take away our sin. No one else died for our sin. No one else died for your sin or for my sin. Christians are the only people on earth that are blood-bought and have a blood sacrifice for their sins. That's a big problem with the Eastern religions. They have no sacrifice for their sin. They have no way to clear their conscience. Hebrews 10 and verse 4 says, It is not possible but that the blood of... Let me start again. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Just won't do it. A dumb, cheap animal... Can that pay the penalty for all the suffering and all of the sin of the human race? One puny animal? That was not possible, is what the Bible says. No one else was qualified to die for us. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, not Jesus. He did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. That's what made him the only acceptable thing to God for the sin of the world. The pouring out of all of this animal blood could not take away that sin. If God was not willing to let his son die, and Jesus had not been willing to die for us, then we would have all gone to hell justly. For all the sin that we've committed. All the hard speeches that we've made against other people. All the ugly things that we've done. God would have been just in sending all of us to hell. Because we couldn't take away our own sin. How are we going to do that? You can't buy it with money, forgiveness. You couldn't do enough good to offset your bad. The only way that you could go to heaven is to get forgiven. Because you're guilty. And I'm guilty.
In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the single most controversial passage in all of God's Word. And as, I, as he said about the Jews, they rejected that. The Muslims reject that. The Hindus reject that. The atheist rejects that. And you know, these people read that passage of Scripture and say, How could anybody be so egotistical? How can they say no one can go to the Father but by Jesus? What arrogance to make such a statement. Folks, I'm here this morning to tell you it's the truth. It doesn't matter what people say about it. They have no say in the matter. God alone made these decisions before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. And just because millions of people hate him and cried for his blood and crucified him does not make the truth go away. And aren't we glad? What if we did not have that truth this morning? Then we'd have nothing to look forward to. What other religious leader offered his life for his followers? What other religious leader lived a perfect life and never sinned, not even one time? What other religious leader said, I'll be the sacrifice for your sin. Take my life so I can die in your place. What other religion has a sacrifice that can cleanse the conscience of the followers? There are no sacrifices. But you know, when we go to God in prayer... And we ask forgiveness through the blood of Jesus as Christians. We have no doubt that that sin immediately vanishes. And that our slate is clean. And I'm telling you this morning, if you're a Christian and you don't have that kind of faith in the blood of Christ, you've got a problem you need to deal with. Because if you don't accept that forgiveness, you're going to get up from your prayer and feel guilty when you're really not. And that's not a good feeling, and that's not a good place to be. There's only one sacrifice to cleanse the conscience, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen, Acts 4 and verse 12, neither... Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. John, 1 John 2, 23, He that denieth the Son denieth the Father also, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You can't have God without Jesus. That's what John is saying. And these other religions, that's what they want. They want God, they just don't want Jesus. It don't work that way. If you have one, you have both. If you don't have one, you don't have the other. 1 John 5 and verse 12, He that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son hath not life. 
If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. That's what that verse is saying. Same thing as John 14. I am the way. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that believeth not on the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides upon him. That's a strong statement, folks. If you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus, the wrath of God abides upon you. And just like he told those unbelieving Jews, where I go, you cannot come. Jesus is the only Savior and we cannot go to heaven without him. Jesus extended the greatest invitation ever given when he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall receive rest unto your souls. Come, Jesus says. Come. Jesus invites all to come. It wasn't that the Jews didn't have an invitation. It was that they denied the invitation. No one is excluded. Hebrews 5 and verse 9, Jesus tasted death for every man. He's talking about mankind. Every man and woman. Jesus died for them. Everyone. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's not select groups that can have access to the gospel and other select groups that can't have access to the gospel. He said, preach it to every creature. It's the good news. He that believes that good news and is baptized shall be saved, and he that does not believe it shall be condemned. Why would we not want to believe the good news that Jesus died for our sins and that we can be saved? In Matthew 26 and verse 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus said, this is my blood that I'm shedding for the forgiveness of your sin. That's what the word remission means. This is my blood that's shed for the remission of your sins. Now what, what does that mean, for the remission of your sins? You know, I looked last night I, on Gateway. It's a Bible place you can go on the internet and they got a lot of stuff. And I looked at the translations, and they had somewhere between probably 25 and 30 translations. And every one of them translated this passage to me to say, remission of sins or forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I shed my blood for the remission of your sin." That's pretty simple to understand. In Luke's account of the Great Commission, he told them to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they would be endowed from on high, and that repentance 
and remission of sin should be preached in His name, beginning at Jerusalem. So he said that the preaching was to be that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all people. But that would, it would first be preached at Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? That's where Jesus was crucified. You've got to remember a lot of these Jews were denying his resurrection. Nobody denied he was crucified. So they didn't take off across the globe somewhere else to preach about the resurrection of Jesus. God wanted it preached right there where it happened. And he said that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in the name of Jesus. That's part of the Great Commission. Peter said, you know how that God a good long time ago made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth might hear the gospel. And that's true. That's why Jesus said to him in Matthew 16, you're going to open the gates of the kingdom. You're going to preach to the Jews, and then you're going to preach to the Gentiles. In Acts 2 is where Peter preached this the first time in the city of Jerusalem, right where God told him to. And he stood up and he preached the prophecies about Christ that he was a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which he did. And you know that. You saw him daily. And then Peter said, of whom you are the murderers. I told you, the Bible tells it like it is. I'm telling you, that was terrifying to those that believed in Jesus that they could have murdered the Son of God and had a hand in it. And the Bible says, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Can't you hear the terror in that statement? Peter, tell us what we can do to fix this. And Peter told them. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Yes, the blood of Jesus will cleanse any sin. The blood of Jesus will cleanse the sin of murder. The blood of Jesus will even cover the sin of murdering God's only son. And they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. So what did Peter preach? He said there's two things you need to do. You need to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And I've checked that statement both in the English and in the Greek. And it's identical. In Matthew 26, when he said he would shed his blood for the remission of sins. And here in Acts 2.38, when he answered their question. So baptism was preached by Peter 
so that people could get the forgiveness of their sin. And y'all have heard me preach before this same idea. Somebody says, well, are you saying that the water washed away their sins? And I'm telling you, I've never preached that in my life, ever, because I don't believe that. But I do believe that's when the blood cleanses you of your sin, or else that statement makes no sense. We're baptized to receive the forgiveness of our sin. Jesus died so that we could have that remission. And that's the way the Bible connects those throughout the New Testament. And so when someone says, well, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Everybody knows that. Well, everybody doesn't know that. Peter didn't know that. He told them that's what they needed to do. We started out in John this morning, Jesus' statement about heaven. John also records Jesus as saying, except you be born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot. That's a statement from the lips of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the one is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, if you're not born of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That tells me that when we are born of water and the Spirit, that we enter the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said there's not another way. That's the way. You know, Jesus came down to us at the cross. That's the way He came to us to save us. We come to Him when we come to the cross, when we go through a form of His death, burial, and resurrection that's described by Paul in Romans 6 as the act of baptism. That's when we come to Jesus. That's when we receive His blood. That's what it means to be repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Because what He died there for, what He died upon the cross for, we receive. That's how He came to us. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Somebody says, I don't believe that. <laughs> well... That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. There's not another way, folks. That's the way that Jesus gave us. If we love Jesus, Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my word. Another place he said, if a man love me, he will keep my commandments. Another place he said, He that rejecteth me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. So we see from these passages and others that we could quote this morning that the way to heaven is the way that Jesus gave. 
And if we truly believe in Jesus, do we not believe His words? How can we say that we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe His words? Wouldn't that make Jesus a liar? And yet the Bible says He did no sin. He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. The Bible says there are three that bear record in the earth. The, the, the Father, the Spirit, I'm sorry. Let me turn and read that. It's not coming to me right now. 1 John chapter 5, if you're following in your Bible. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 8. There are three, well let's start in verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe in those, don't we? There are three that bear record on the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. How is that? Well, the first one that he says is the Holy Spirit. The, this is talking again about the act of baptism. All of this comes together. All of this comes together here. There's three that bear record on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. We know what the blood is. No one has any quibble about that. Blood means blood. He says, the water. You know, there's nothing that we do in Christianity that we use water except the act of baptism. Nothing else. And then he says, the blood. You see what we're saying here, and I believe the Bible is saying, and maybe I should have worded that the other way around. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what we believe. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Somebody says, well, that's not baptism. Well, if it's not, if water doesn't mean water, what does Spirit mean? Does it mean Spirit? The only thing that we use water for in the Christian system is when we baptize people. And they all come together in one. The Holy Spirit inspires the instructions. The element that we baptize people in is water. And that's when we receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen carefully. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, Jesus gave a teaching in the Gospels about this man that had an evil spirit. And the evil spirit was cast out. And his house was swept and garnished. That means it was cleaned up and decorated. But then that evil spirit went and got some more evil spirits and came and dwelt in that man. And the last part with him was worse than it had ever been. But there was a time, wasn't it, 
when his temple was swept and garnished. And what that's teaching us is, when we have the Spirit, the water, and the blood that we receive when we're baptized, our temple is cleaned up, and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. There's another passage there in Acts, and I'm forgetting the exact verse right this minute, but it says, He giveth the Holy Spirit to them that obey Him. Those people in Acts 2 obeyed Peter's message, and then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 22, I think kind of brings this together. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Does that mean you have to be baptized in water that you get at the grocery store that's pure water? No, it's pure because it's an act of obedience to God. It's a submission to want to please God. It's a it's an act on our part, an act of faith. We want to do what God wants us to do, just like those at Acts 2 did. And he says, as our bodies are washed with pure water, our conscience is sprinkled. That's the blood of Jesus. See, when we wash that sin away, the blood of Jesus is what did it at the same time that our body was washed in pure water. And we have a clear conscience. And that's why 1 Peter 3.21 says, Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. No, let's back up a little bit more. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Because I know that Jesus said when we believe and we're baptized, we're saved. And therefore, when we come up out of that water, our conscience is clear because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Now, I want you to remember a couple of things here. The blood is what cleanses us. No question about that. It's what? Baptism is when. Check all the passages in the New Testament and see if that doesn't line up. The blood is what cleanses Baptism is when God cleanses us with the blood. Jesus said we've got to do this to enter into the kingdom of God. And when he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, I believe that. Somebody says, why do you believe that? I believe that because Jesus said that. Don't question it at all. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Are you ready to go to heaven? Have you been baptized this morning for the remission of your sins? Are you serving Him daily? Are you searching the Scriptures? Are you doing what you find there? Are you putting that into practice in your life? As we quoted Romans 2 earlier, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, honor, immortality, eternal life, a mansion in heaven. I hope this sermon makes you think this morning about your own life. Not about somebody else's, but about your own life. Jesus said, be you ready. Are you ready?
Jesus also said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there something that's bothering your conscience this morning? If you'll come this morning, you can be baptized before you leave the building. If you come this morning, if you're already a Christian, then through prayer, you can have forgiveness of that sin through the same blood. Prayers win. Through that same blood, you can be cleansed. If you have a need in your life, and you're, you know that, and your conscience is hurting you, why not come and let Jesus wash that sin away, that problem away in his blood as we stand and sing?